I'd like for us to look at scripture that we've been looking at. I still sense in my spirit that there's some things the Lord wants us to say we haven't said yet. And I don't know all of them in my head. But somewhere or another I know they're down here on the inside of me. So I'll keep talking along this line until we get them out. Let's look first of all again to the ninth chapter of Matthew's Gospel. We'll start reading with the 35th verse. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease. Now notice, not every sick person or not every diseased person, but every sickness and every disease or as another translator said, every manner of sickness and every manner of disease among the people. I want you to notice how that teaching and preaching is connected with healing. You notice that? I want you to notice that he put teaching in his ministry first, even before healing. It didn't say he went around about their villages, healing every manner of sickness and every manner of diseases, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and teaching. It doesn't say that, does it? It's important the way the Bible says things. It says it's in their importance. He went around about the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every manner of sickness and every manner of disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. How much more is that true now than even then? Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Now in the uh, fifth chapter of the gospel according to St. John, John's gospel chapter 5, we read again, beginning with the first verse, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Beth Ezda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, a blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, or we would say in that condition, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, saying, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. 
Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, and took up his bed, and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, It is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. He answered them, He that made me whole. The same said unto me, Take up thy bed and walk. Then asked they him, What man is that which said unto thee, Take up thy bed and walk? And he that was healed wist not who it was. In other words, he didn't know who it was. For Jesus had conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. Afterwards, Jesus findeth him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. You know, if you've been healed and you're going to keep on sinning, you're in a very precarious condition. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole. And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. But Jesus answered them, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. In other words, I'm doing the work of God. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but had said unto them that God was his father, making him equal with God. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself. Well, if Jesus could do nothing of himself, how much more? This is true concerning us, that we can of ourselves do nothing. We have to trust in him and depend upon him. Amen. Isn't that right? I can, Jesus said, of myself, or I say unto you, the son, talking about himself, can do nothing of himself. Well, he's the son of God. Why can't he do something of himself? I'll point out to you again because the scripture tells us that when he came into this world, he laid aside his mighty power and glory and became like human beings. Otherwise, he couldn't do anything anymore than other human being could. Another translator said he stripped himself of his mighty power and glory when he came into this world. That's the reason at age 30, when he began his ministry, he had to be anointed with the Holy Ghost because, you see, he could of himself do nothing. Can you see that? And you see, that's the reason Acts 10, 38 said how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power. See, because he could do nothing of himself. Who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Now, he said, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the father do. For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the son likewise. Praise God. Hallelujah. For the Father loveth the Son, and showeth him all things that himself doeth. 
and he will show him greater works than these that ye may marvel. Now, in the 14th chapter of John's gospel, we have also read from the 12th verse where Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, he that believeth on me, you believe on him? All right, now what about you then? He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do because I go unto my Father. Well, now, uh, if we're going to do the works that Jesus did, we better find out how he did them then, huh? Amen. Well, we find from uh, reading the scriptures and studying closely the ministry of the Lord Jesus that he didn't always minister the same. Of course, you understand that just ministering to the sick wasn't the only works that he did. He went about their cities and villages teaching, preaching. See, his works consisted of teaching, preaching, and healing. Hallelujah. So uh, we have found that uh, the works of Jesus, particularly over here in this area of healing that we're discussing, were in two categories. Or we might list them under two headings, so to speak. First of all, because as the scripture I quoted to you in Acts 10, 38 said, how God anointed Jesus nicely with the Holy Ghost. Then the Holy Ghost manifests himself through his life and ministry in what we know now, been as we have the whole New Testament, wasn't any record of it before. But in the 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians, we have a record of and a list of nine manifestations of the Spirit. Or, saying it another way, nine ways that the Holy Ghost manifests himself. And you'll find that the Holy Ghost manifests himself through the ministry of Jesus in seven of those ways. Tongues with interpretation. Jesus never spoke with tongues nor interpreted, nor did even the, uh, in the Old Testament any of them. But uh, tongues with interpretation is distinctive of Pentecost, you see, and of this Holy Ghost dispensation in which we are now living. And so when Jesus ministered in some of his healings, were accomplished by manifestations of the Spirit. I'm convinced that this is one of them right here, of this man at the pool of Bethesda. Now, first of all, before we get into that, let's look again real briefly at this uh, pool of Bethesda there in Jerusalem. I've been there and stood there where it used to be. And uh, there, there were five porches built around it. For, you know, to shield from the sun. We'd call them more or less sheds that shield these people. Roofs that were built to shield these people is lying all around that pool from the hot sun in certain seasons of the year. It's very hot, you see. And, and these five porches or sheds were, were just filled with people. We, we read here that uh, in this uh, fifth chapter about Jesus... This man didn't know who it was when they asked him, you know, who was this man? Well, he said he wist not who it was, for Jesus had conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. So there was not only evidently a multitude of these five porches full, but a multitude of people around about. Some of them evidently had brought some of these folks. 
or maybe are there to see after because bedfast and helpless people would need help. And others are maybe just standing around watching. Because an angel came down from heaven at a certain season and troubled the water. And the first person in got healed. Wouldn't make any difference who they were, just the first person in got healed. Now then, if you analyze that a little bit, healings were taking place. People were actually being healed. Or they wouldn't have been five porches full out there, would they? I mean, you wouldn't go down here on the main street of Broken Arrow and see it lined up with sick folks on every side because folks are getting healed because every once in a while an angel come down the middle of the street. Now, if that happened, it probably would be, but you don't see that, do you? Because that hasn't happened. You don't go downtown Tulsa, the main mall down there, and see just all kinds of sick people and halt and main waiting down there because an angel comes down from heaven and heals them. Do you? Now, if that did happen, it would be that. So if nothing had been happening here or nothing had never happened there, they wouldn't be out there, would they? I said, would they? Certainly not. Certainly not. You wouldn't go to all the trouble. If you were bed fast, you wouldn't go to all the trouble to get somebody to carry you out there and with no report of anything ever happening. Amen. Isn't that true? So folks were getting healed. Now, now what does that mean to us? Well, that, that tells us that God, in his own right as a divine sovereign being, does things sometimes on his own. However, it never violates the principles of the word of God. Now, I don't have any record in the Bible of anything like that ever happening before. Could have happened, but I don't have any record of it. But you see, if God wanted to do it, he could do it. Praise the Lord. And as long as it doesn't violate scriptural principles, see, God's word is his word. And if he violated his word, he'd be a liar just as much as you would if you didn't keep your word or violated your word, you would be a liar. But you see, healing does not violate the word of God. Amen. God is a healer. Healing portrays the character of God. And this healing displayed the fact that God is a healing God, that he is concerned about humanity. And so that's the reason, you see, that he did that. But it also teaches us this fact that God on his own, as a divine sovereign being, does initiate healing sometimes. You know, you, you can't figure him out. You don't understand it. Well, you can't understand God. You can't figure God out. But let's just thank God, hallelujah, that he does. Now, something interesting about it was that just the first person in got healed. That's all. Not everybody. Just the one. Then they'd have to wait till the angel came. And I suppose that they knew he'd come when the water was moving. They could see a stirring in the water. Couldn't see the angel. Unless God saw fit to let him become uh, tangible where they could see him. But Evidently they couldn't, but they did see the moving of the water and know that he had troubled it, so I'll jump in or get in. So here's this man that's there, along with the all other five porches full, that had an infirmity 38 years, and Jesus saw him. When Jesus saw him, it says he knew. Well, now how did Jesus know? He had to know by the revelation of the Spirit of God. You see, again, we, we miss it because we've we missed knowing how things work a lot of times by not studying closely the ministry of Jesus. Because, you see, as a whole, the church world has put Jesus and his ministry in a category by itself. Now, you see, they're partly right and partly wrong. 
You see, Jesus as a person and as a son of God certainly is in a class by himself, isn't he? I said, isn't he? But now then, you see, on the other side, they're halfway wrong. Because if you put the ministry of Jesus in a class by itself, then you violate the very words of Jesus himself. Because how could the ministry or the works? See, and the ministry and the works are the same, interchangeable, you see. If they are in a class by themselves, then Jesus was wrong to say, he that believeth on me the works that I do shall he do also. But he wasn't wrong, was he? Now, 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 you see where, where folks are missed it. You know, even in Pentecost, I could call his name. People would immediately recognize him. Many, many would. Many would here. An outstanding, you know, friend of mine, outstanding Pentecostal minister. And we were discussing some of these things, you know. But see, he wanted to hold to it, you know, even in the light of Sister. Well, yeah, but these people, you know, running around, you know, claiming to be in the same class with Jesus. Well, other than just identified with him in doing his works, we, we, we're not saying we're in the same class with Jesus. We're saying as far as works are concerned, we have to be in the same class with him if we're going to do the same works, wouldn't you? I said, wouldn't you? But I noticed this by observing him that he never did do any of the works of Jesus. Very seldom, if ever, even through prayer, got anybody healed because I watched him closely. Because, you see, he didn't believe that there'd be any moving of the Spirit, I don't guess. Because he couldn't do what Jesus did. He did them by the power of the Holy Ghost. So he'd just beg and cry and bawl and squall. Once in a while, some of them would stumble up on healing. But that's not, uh, uh, that's not Jesus' way of doing it. So, what we need to do then, if we are, if we are, going to do the works of Jesus, and, and he said we were, or we were supposed to at least, then, then, then we need to study closely, follow closely his ministry. See how he did them. Hallelujah. Now, we may not do all the works, and I don't see that he's just talking about one individual is going to do it, but he's talking about us in general going to do it. But uh, we may not do them just exactly the same way always, maybe that he did, but similar. Because I read sometimes where that he, uh, you know, like one time he spit on the ground, made clay of the spittle, rubbed it on a blind man's eyes, told him to go wash it off in the pool of Siloam, and thou shalt come again seeing. Well, I, I never have done that, never have seen anybody else do that, have you? Yet the Lord might lead somebody to do it. The Spirit of God might, might lead you that way. Yet he did not minister to every blind person that same way, did he? I said, did he? No, he did minister to every blind person that same way. It would be interesting if we had time and we did that when we went through each individual case. But if we just go back and single out the, the cases of people that were blind and just see how I minister them, you'll find that he ministered because uh, among the 19 specific cases of healing that took place under the ministry of Jesus, there were more people healed of blindness than any other one thing. Did you know that? Yeah, they were. You know, there's a list that I'm talking about. But, but yet he didn't minister to all of them the same way. Well, now, why didn't he? For the simple reason 
that he's anointed with the Holy Ghost. And because he's not the Holy Ghost, then the Holy Ghost manifests himself through him in these areas of healing and miracles and so on, in what we call the power gifts of the Spirit. You know, the gift of special faith, the working of miracles and, and gifts of healings. Uh, sometimes there may be one or more of them operating together and manifesting together, or even all three of them in some certain cases in manifestation together. And in that 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians, the, the Spirit of God through the Apostle Paul plainly tells us that thou art diversity, not only diversities of gifts, but he said that thou are diversities of operations and their differences of administrations. Diversities of operations. What does he mean, diversities? Different kind of operations. Now, one way that that could be interpreted is that the same gifts will operate different. Now, for instance, in the Old Testament, you see the working of miracles through Moses as he stretched forth his rod and the Red Sea divided. Later on in the Old Testament, you see the prophet Elijah divide the river Jordan, not with a rod, but with a piece of cloth, his mantle. Amen. Isn't that right? You see? Well, that both of them are working of miracles, but uh, there's a different, a, a different operation, aren't they? Different operation. Now, for instance, we know that the Bible said in James 5, 14, is any sick among you? Let them call for the elders of the church and let them pray over them, anointed with all, in the name of the Lord, the prayer of faith, save sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. Now, you see, that can happen just by obeying the Bible in faith. See, he said the prayer of faith, the prayer of faith will save the sick, didn't he? See, that can happen without any manifestation of the Spirit at all. Just because they were sick, just because they called for the elder of the church, just because the elder of the church anointed all and prayed for them in faith, and they in faith accepted their prayers, praised God, and counted it done, received it. Amen. Yet right on the other hand, there can be, even in this connection, a move of the Spirit of God, a manifestation of the Holy Ghost. Because I remember... Uh, you know, and I have referred to this at other times, but we have so many new people, some of them never heard it. I refer to uh, when my wife and I first married, that my mother-in-law, you see, had a, a gorter. Now, uh, you know, there's a good bit of here, about as big as your fist here. You know, you've seen some people gorters hung way down here, you see. But you just had a knot up here about as big as your fist. Or, you know, an average fist, not a real big fist. But then the doctor said it's about two or three times bigger inside. Well, boy, if it was two or three times bigger inside than it was outside, it was pretty good. And the thing, it entwined itself around her esophagus, and, and she just simply uh, had difficulty breathing. And it tightened down, I guess, at times, you know, and you could just hear her all over the house breathing. Just breathe like a winded animal. And so we had only been, of course, I'd been going with over here, been there in the home a lot, but we'd only been married about, this was the fourth night, fourth day or fourth night. And I said, uh, you know, and I talked to her a little bit, you know, but she didn't have any faith at all in healing. You know, she believed in, you know, God could heal. And she believed, well, what I mean when I said faith, I mean no, no faith at all that she would be healed. Now, she believed the Lord healed me. She saw other people healed in services, believed that, you see. Believed God could do it and that he might even be willing to heal her. But I just don't have that kind of faith myself. 
No, no, I, I, I would never be healed. She'd just sit right there and talk herself completely out of it. I mean, if it was there. From, you know, and it was offered to her, of course. Well, uh, now, now she's going to the hospital the next day. I mean, she's got her suitcase packed. Because she's going to the hospital to be operated on. You know, to remove that garter. Well, we knelt to pray about 9.30 in that home. And now it's, it's a Methodist home. That's not full gospel. We knelt to pray, you know, before we retired. And the Spirit of God said to me, Get your oil and anoint your mother-in-law and I'll heal her. Now, see, I think there's something, you see, we need to realize that in all of these areas of laying on of hands, of anointing with oil, and of maybe doing something, like Jesus spit on the ground, made clay spittle, said to you, go wash it off. That there, there's a, a variety or diversity. Diversity means different kinds of operations of the same spirit. Now, now you see, uh, the scripture said, is any sick among you? Let them call. Well, she didn't call for anybody to pray. She's not even asking for prayer because she don't believe she'll be healed by divine power. You, you see? Yet the Spirit of God said, get your oil and anoint your mother-in-law and I'll heal her. The Lord said that by the Spirit. You see here, you were open right there at that 14th chapter of John's Gospel. It might be of interest to you if you'd turn on over here to, uh, to the 16th chapter of John's Gospel. Remember that Jesus said one reason that, that, that you're going to do. Hallelujah. Holy Ghost. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Holy Ghost gets hold of my tongue sometimes. It's hard for me to do something with it. Praise God. Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Notice that. Well, turn back there to the 14th chapter of John. I'll, instead of quoting it, I'll read it. Seems like I'm not going to be able to quote it. I can, but. Verily, verily, I send you, he that believeth on me. Well, that's it. He wanted you to turn and read it. That's it. I got it. You turn and read it for yourself now. You see, not just listen to me. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. Now, this isn't talking about preachers. It includes preachers because they do believe on him, don't they? That's where we missed it, see. So much of the time as a church and all, we've delegated some of these things to preachers or to ministers of the gospel or maybe to somebody that's specially called and people are specially called. We know that Bible teaches that, see. But you see, no, this is talking about he that believeth on me, isn't it? You got your Bible open there? Can you read? You believe on him? How many of you believe on him? Let's see your hand. Yeah, I said, see, I read the Spirit of God arrested me. I was about to go by here. I want, he wants me to reiterate this. Now listen, keep your hand up. Keep your hand up. You, you, you believe on him? Say, this is talking about me. Say it again. Say it again. One more time. Now, boy, if it's talking about you, you better start listening then. <laughs> See, there may be some things about you that you didn't even know. <laughs> Amen. Praise God. Let's find out about us. huh? All right. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works. Well, it's talking about you and works then. The works. That I do, Jesus said, 
shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. That's the reason you're going to be able to do the same works, is because the same Holy Spirit's going to become available to you that he's anointed with. You know, it's not two Holy Ghosts, just one. And he acts the same today, and he's the same Holy Ghost now that he was then. God, the Holy Ghost, never changes. Now, we pointed out these scriptures in one of the lessons, but if you'd skip down there to the 16th verse, we'll look again real quickly. I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. Well, the Greek word translated comforter is paraclete. It literally means one called alongside to help. Many translation reads, I'll send you another helper. While Jesus was here, he was their helper. But I'll send you another helper. Thank God. Which is the Holy Ghost, of course. Now then notice the 26th verse, and you can see exactly what, who the comforter is. But the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name. The Comforter then is the Holy Ghost. Now turn to the 16th chapter. Howbeit when the Spirit of truth is come, remember that Spirit of truth is the Comforter, is the Helper, is the Paraclete, is the Holy Ghost. When he is come, he'll guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself. But now I want you to see that he does speak. But whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. He shall not speak of himself. So you see, when, when the Holy Spirit said to my spirit, get your oil and your mother-in-law and I'll heal her, he's repeating what he heard. See, whatsoever he hears, that will he speak. He heard Jesus say that. So the Spirit speaking to you is Jesus speaking to you, isn't it? Can you see that? Well, like I said, my mother-in-law never asked for prayer. Now, if she asked for prayer, well, then she would just pray, ask you, well, now pray that the Lord will go with me and be with me and help me and see me through this. But here the Holy Spirit says, or the Lord says, by the Spirit, get your oil and anoint your mother-in-law and I'll heal her. Now, see, what I want you to see is this. That folks can be healed by the anointing of all, by the elders of the church, as an act of faith, where there is no manifestation of the Spirit of God. But in that case, let them call for that. It's because these people ask for prayer. They call for it. They wanted it, you see. But now in this case, the Spirit of God said, get your oil and anoint your mother-in-law and I'll heal her. The Lord by the Spirit, a better way to say it's a better way to say that. That is a manifestation of the Holy Ghost. So, now I had just moved my belongings that day into that home. And I thought to myself, when he said that, the thought flashed through my mind, dear Lord, where in the world is that oil bottle? A little bitty bottle about like that. About that tall, and not, you know, not maybe half an inch wide and two inches tall, maybe. I, I, I'd put it, you know, you got a little side pocket, a little watch pocket, I guess, here in your coat, you know. I'd put it in there, you see, and in visiting the sick people, you know. I, well, now, I'd put all my belongings in boxes, 
I had boxes of books and different things, you see. We'd hung clothes up in the closet. But now I've got, oh, I don't know how many boxes. I'd say anywhere from five, maybe nine. Pasteboard, corrugated boxes. You know, some of them pretty good-sized boxes, you know. Sitting in the corner of a bedroom there that we were occupying of that farm, I see. Because just moved in late that afternoon. And so we, we you know, it's going to take a little while to get it all straightened up, you know. Now, which one of those boxes is that bottle of oil in? And a little thing like that at that. You know, not any bigger than, than you, you might say than a half dollar thicker, but not any bigger than a half a dollar, you know. How in the world would you find something like that in all those boxes? I thought to myself, dear Lord, you know, that throw salt. How would, where is that bottle? Of, and I don't have any other. I, I, I saw, you know, it's olive oil. And there's not any more in the house anywhere, so I'll have to find it. I remember I never did open my eyes. I just said, dear Lord, I don't know which one of those boxes that oil's in. I don't know where that bottle of oil is. You said get your oil and not your mother-in-law. Now, I'm just going to walk into that bedroom, you know, with my eyes shut. No use turning on the light anyhow because I can look for it because I'm not walking by sight. You see what I mean? I'm just going to walk in that bedroom in the dark now with my eyes shut anyway. I mean, there's light here, you know. And, of course, you open the door. Well, a certain amount of light would come into the other room with the door open. You know what I mean. Yet it's still back in the shadows in the corner. But you lead me to the right box. Whichever one. I don't know which one it is. And so with my eyes shut, I walk in that room, reach down to the corner of one of those boxes and put my hand right on the bottom of oil. That's miraculous in itself. I mean, you could have gone through all seven or nine boxes before you found it. It could have been in the ninth one. You know, I don't know which box it is. See, I've got books and different paraphernalia, you know, and so on and different things and all these sermon notes and so on and so forth and all of these boxes and, and personal items, you know, you know, and, 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 and in some of them I've got shaving lotion, you know, and, and razor and razor blades and I don't know. There are all kinds of personal items and, you know, things you can, you know, and, and, and shoes and, <laughs> and so on and so forth, you know. And I just got immediately got that, see? Well, I went back in there and anointed her. Now, I want you to notice that he said this. Spirit of God said, see? Get your oil, anoint your mother-in-law, and I'll heal her. Now, he didn't say, get your oil, anoint your mother-in-law, and pray, and I'll heal her. Get your oil, anoint your mother-in-law, and rebuke that thing. Come out. Now, he might tell you to do that. I don't remember, really, of doing anything except just anointing her. And watching. You know, the Bible said to watch and pray. I anointed her with oil, and I saw that about as big as your fist here just go down like you'd stuck a pin in the balloon. Now, that'll be 43 years ago this coming November, and she's never had that operation. You know, for, for God. Now, you see, that was a manifestation of the Spirit of God. Now, you see, I'd had people healed up till that time and since then, through laying on of hands and anointing with oil in faith. See, not because I'm divinely inspired. Not because the Spirit of God manifested itself through me, see. Just because I read in the Bible. You see what I mean? And, and, and that was really the first manifestation of the Holy Spirit in this area that I ever had back there in 1938. And yet I'd seen people heal. I'd, I'd seen them jump, jump out of bed facing major operations, just jump out of bed instantly, heal. But I asked them now, you see, I read to them. I went to visit them. They were members of my church. 
I, I read to them. Is any sick among them called to the church? They didn't necessarily call, but I said, now do you want me to anoint you with oil? See, I wouldn't anoint anybody with oil if they didn't want me to. In other words, I've had people say, well, if you want to, I said, it's not a matter of what I want. No, I don't want to. I mean, I, what I want hasn't got a thing to do with it. See what I mean? What do you want? See, is any sick among them? Let them call. Well, they hadn't called. They're sick, but I'm there. Now do you want me to? It's up to you. And I've seen them jump out of bed instantly healed. Praise God, never have the operation. Face it, major operation. The next morning, well, in fact, one of them, just within, within an hour, they're going to, you know, give them a shot and get them, start preparing them. But they just jumped out of bed healed. Praise the Lord. Well, now, you see, those things happen uh, in faith, and, and that works because it's the Word of God. These signs will follow them that believe. They'll lay hands on the sick. I'm authorized to do it. You're authorized to do it. That's another way of, of, of doing the works of Jesus, you see. But then, uh, right at the moment, the Lord's wanting us to em emphasize this other side here, you see. There are, there are manifestations of the Spirit. You do things because the Spirit of God told you to. You remember we, we use there in that fourth chapter of Luke's gospel. It'll be good for some of you to refresh your mind and you that were not with us. Jesus in his ministry in Nazareth, you know, his hometown, pointed out to that congregation in the synagogue in Nazareth that there were two prophets at one time in Israel. One of them first was by the name of Elijah. And remember Jesus said there in that fourth chapter of Luke, in the days of Elijah there were many widows in Israel but Elijah was sent unto none of them, save unto a city of Sarepta, you see, uh, in, in, in Sidon. Well, now remember this, that there was a working of miracles. Here was a spiritual gift and manifestation. We call it the working of Bible, calls it the working of miracles. The meal barrel just kept giving out meal. The oil crews just kept pouring out oil for as long as the famine lasted. What Jesus is saying was, that that prophet couldn't just go into anybody's house and work a miracle because he wasn't sent just to ever and all widows, but he was sent to that one widow. Now then, he said in the very next verse, in the days of Elisha the prophet, there were many lepers in Israel and none of them were cleansed, save in Naaman the Syrian. Remember Elisha told him to go dip in the river Jordan seven times. Remember, and he was healed. But just anybody could do that because the Spirit of God didn't tell him that concerning everybody. He just told him to tell that man to do that. And so that's the way the Spirit of God, we need to understand that. If we can understand more how the Spirit of God works, we'll be more apt to listen, respond to him, see. He may lead you. Now Jesus, for instance, walked up here to this pool said to that man, didn't lay hands on him, didn't pray for him, did he? Didn't touch him, just said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. The man rose, took up his bed and walked. And, and that's the only one Jesus ministered to that whole crowd, five porches full of people there. Now, how do I know? Well, we read here that when these Jews, you know, they accosted the man because he's carrying his bed on the Sabbath, you know, that violated their holy day. And he said, well, the man that healed me told me to do it. Well, I said, who was it? They said, well, I don't know who it was. For it said Jesus had conveyed himself away, a multitude being there. Healed the one fellow and left. Slipped out through the crowd and left. Well, why didn't he minister to the rest of them? Well, ministering like this. Now, see, if he'd had time to teach them, 
and encourage them to believe God. He could have got them healed that way. But ministering under the anointing of the Spirit, you see, and as the Spirit directs, he can only minister to the one or to the ones that the Spirit may tell him to. You can't make that work for everybody. Do you understand that? And so, uh, you see, you have actually here in the ministry of Jesus, the word of knowledge in operation. First, it said Jesus knew. How did he know the fellow had been that way for a long time? Had to be revelation. There are three gifts, knowing gifts. Word of knowledge, word of wisdom, discern the spirits. And so, uh, in ministering to people individually, I've always through the years, since being baptized Holy Ghost, since that time of that ministry with my mother-in-law, from that time on, I always put up my spiritual antenna to see if he is going to say something or if he does say something. And if he does, well, then I minister according to what he said. Or, you see, sometimes you're just teaching along or preaching or in the service and the Spirit of God will manifest himself. Now, no one controls that. I mean, no man does. You, you can readily see that Jesus himself didn't. Well, if he didn't, you need to think you are. It's not under your control. It's under the control of the Spirit. Because, you see, and, and this will prove that this is so, this is, you know, such a new ground to us that maybe we ought to go over and over it. But you might turn back here to Mark and, and Gospel and, and it'll prove that Jesus himself didn't control that, these manifestations. Look into that sixth chapter of Mark again in that fifth verse. Sixth chapter of Mark and fifth verse. This is Jesus' ministry in his hometown. And he could there do no mighty work. He is Jesus, there's Nazareth. Now notice it didn't say he wouldn't, said he couldn't. Well now why couldn't he? Because the Spirit didn't inspire him to. The Spirit didn't tell him to. You see, instead of him using the Spirit, the Spirit uses him. You see now where we miss it? We in Christian circles and Pentecostal circles, full gospel circles, charismatic circles, we've tried to use the Spirit instead of letting the Spirit use us. Can, can you see that? And so he could. See, he didn't use the Spirit and the Spirit didn't use him, so he could there do no mighty work. Now notice, save that he laid his hands. Save or but or however he laid his hands on a few sick folk. And healed them. See the few that did get healed. Did not get healed by manifestations of the spirit. But by the laying on of hands. And those few. Were only people with minor ailments. That's what the Greek says. Look in W. Vine's expository dictionary. New Testament words. And it'll tell you that the Greek said. He laid his hands on a few folks with minor ailments. Minor ailments. Well that means he didn't have very much wrong with them. Not very serious condition. Well, why couldn't he then? One thing was the Holy Ghost didn't manifest himself. And then even these few with minor ailments, even with laying on of hands, he could only get a few with minor ailments. And the sixth verse says, and he marveled because of their unbelief. It was because of the general unbelief of the city and of the congregation that he's preaching to there in the city of Nazareth because he's in the synagogue in the city of Nazareth where he's teaching, isn't he? So what's he going to do? Well, if he's going to help them, he's got to do something about it, their unbelief. Well, faith's the object of unbelief. How are you going to get faith into them? Well, through the word. Faith comes being hearing by the word of God. So he went around about the villages teaching, teaching, teaching. So there are manifestations of the Spirit. As the Spirit wills. 
you know, not as I will. That's the reason sometimes in ministering, when you're over here in the spirit, now I, I don't know what I'm going to do next. I can't of my own self do nothing. I, I know yesterday I ministered in a different way here because I saw myself in the spirit. Ministered that way. So I just had people to stand up on healing already and took them one at a time. See, I, in other words, in the spirit, I saw before I ever come to the class, I saw people standing up. I knew why they were standing. And then I saw myself. I didn't know what I said to them. I just saw myself. I didn't know what I was going to say to each one and how I was going to minister to any of them but one of them any more than a man in the moon. But I spoke by the Spirit of God and if folks would listen and cooperate and believe it, they, they got healed. If it was just, if they didn't believe it and didn't mix faith with it, well, it wouldn't amount to anything other. Are you listening to me? Because we read over there that scripture, you know, where Jehoshaphat said to Judah, Believe in the Lord your God, so ye shall be established. Believe his holy prophets, so shall ye, or believe his prophets, so shall ye prosper. If you don't believe it, you won't prosper. Amen. Well, now, sometimes God will lead you. He does me, and I'm sure he does, and we've seen it in the ministry of others. But I remember when he first began to use me that way, I'd never seen anybody minister that way. I'd never seen it. Way back in 1938, 39, I'd never seen the only way I'd seen anybody ever minister to the sick was just by laying on hands or with the anointing of all. And that's the only way I ministered because that's all I'd ever seen. But the Spirit of God began to use me in different ways. Now, like, for instance, uh, I was pastoring the church just a little while after my mother-in-law was healed. And overnight, see, that was at the end of 38 and over in 39. Actually, this was about nine months later. And uh, just to finish my Sunday morning sermon, uh, you know, I heard these words the Spirit of God said to me. I don't mean that still small voice. I mean louder than that. Said there's a woman here. I want to heal before you go this morning. Well, I had no idea in the world who it was because that's just all he said. And, you know, if you're, if you're not careful, if you really don't know the word, if you're just living over here in, in, you know, in this thing, you know, in the mental realm, you can miss God entirely. And I'm sure at that stage of my spiritual development, if I hadn't trained my spirit to listen to God and, and, and would act beyond my mind, if I had stopped to reason it out, I'd have missed it and would never have done it. I don't mean beyond that, that you just do stupid things beyond reason. But you see, if I'd had time to stop and analyze that, I'd have thought to myself, well, now, you know, could that be the Lord? Just saying there's a woman here I want to heal don't he know who the woman was? Why didn't he tell me which one it was? And I'm not going to move till he does. You see, you can jump back over in that reason realm and just try to reason it away, you know. Well, now, wouldn't he know who it was? Yeah, he'd know who it was. And you know, I would minister that way and, 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 and never really had the full ministry that the Lord, because there were times I'd draw back from that because I would be more in the natural than in the spiritual. Until one time I asked the Lord, years later, when he appeared to me in a vision about that. I said, Lord, you know, I just make it so much easier on the flesh if you just go. Because sometimes the Lord would just point people out to me, and I'd just point them out and tell them, stand up and tell them what was wrong with them. You know, that's a whole lot easier than just saying there's a woman here. <laughs> well, there's a lot of women here, you know, that need healing, no doubt, you know. But he just said, there's a woman here I want to heal before you go today. That's all he said. And so I asked the Lord about that one time when he appeared to me in a vision. A number of years later, you see. 
And the Lord said to me, you know, and it's strange, I'd read it, it's strange how we can read the Bible and not see what it says. Isn't it though? And the Lord said to me, didn't you ever read, and if you don't know this well enough, you might turn back and look it up. But when I said to Samuel, go down to Jesse's house and anoint one of his boys to be king in the place of Saul, for I have rejected Saul. Remember that? Now the Lord said to me, now if you'd look at that from the natural standpoint, you know, I think maybe we might ought to just look at some of these things. So, because some of you folks won't get it, you know, you'll just listen and let it slip by you. First of all, open your Bibles to the 55th chapter of Isaiah, then we'll go on back from the 55th chapter of Isaiah. We'll go on back there to Samuel, you see, and find out some of these things. Amen. Praise God. Is that all right with you? All right. Now notice something that God said at the same time somebody finally called it slipped me at the moment where it's found where God told him to go down and anoint one of his boys. Now notice what God said in the 55th chapter of Isaiah in the 8th verse. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Now what does that mean? My thoughts are not your thoughts. That means God don't think like we humans think. Can you see that? Now notice what else he says. Neither are your ways my ways saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Well, now God don't think like we see. We think, well, now why wouldn't he do it this way? Looks like if that was God. See, I've seen people reason themselves right out of the blessings of God. If that was God, he would have done it this way. See, that's the way they think. So, but God said, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. All right, now let's go back there. Did somebody find that for me? Right? Okay. Good. I had within two chapters of it. If I turned another page, and I had it. All right, now look here. I want you to notice... What he said. Let's start with the very first verse. And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil and go. Because see, they would, he would send a prophet to anoint folks, you see, to be king or priest and so on. And even anoint other folks to stand in the, in, in the area of prophet. The oil is a type of the fact that the Holy Ghost is going to come on them and enable him to stand in that office. For I will send thee to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. Isn't that strange? I've provided me a king among his sons. Wouldn't it have been a whole lot easier just to say, go anoint David? But see, God don't think like we do. That's quite obvious, isn't it? <laughs> Amen. All right. Now then, let's, let's skip down to the fourth verse. And Samuel did that which the Lord spake and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Comest thou peaceably? And he said, Peaceably I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourself and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and called them to the sacrifice. And it came to pass when they were come... 
that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointing anointed is before him. Now Eliab, you see, is the oldest son. And now Samuel's looking. See, now this is just, just purely him, not the Spirit of God. Look with his eye. And he said, surely, boy, that, that, that must be the one. Man, look at that fellow. But the Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance. See, that's what he's doing. He's looking on his countenance. Or on the height of his stature. See, that's what he's doing. He's looking at the height of his stature, looking at his countenance with these eyes. Because I have refused him. In other words, that's another way of saying, no, he's not the one. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. Well, now, that's good to know, isn't it? He don't think like man. His ways are not like man. And he don't see as man seeth. Yeah, but I saw that. I've told the Lord, the Lord said, saw what? Yeah, I, I saw I saw so-and-so, one of my fellow brothers. <laughs> she do something wrong, you know? Yeah, I saw that, Lord, in my own eyes. Didn't you see it? He said, no, I don't have any knowledge ever did anything wrong. Well, I said, I saw him. You mean you don't? He said, yeah, but see, you don't know everything. When they saw they missed it and they didn't intend to, they said, dear Lord, dear Lord, oh, what a mess I'm about to get into here. Oh, dear God, I didn't want to forgive me. And he said, you see, I said, I am I, he that brought out thy transgressions, and I will not remember thy iniquities. So I brought it out. I don't remember it. I don't remember it ever did anything wrong. You forget it. I said, thank you, Lord, for being green. Stupid, forgive me. <laughs> see, we poor humans, we need to start thinking like God thinks. Are you listening? We need to see when we look at somebody, even though we may have seen them in time past do wrong, but they've repented, they've straightened up, we need to see like God sees. See, you, that, 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 that deal they pull may still there sort of come up before you, but it don't call God. He don't see them, but they ever did anything wrong. So why don't you see them clean? You know, it would make a great difference in your life if you'd start doing that. Well, he said here, he seeth not. As man, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. I remember one time I was praying, never forget it, you know. A number of years ago over in Kansas, I was holding a revival meeting over there. And I was up to church praying one day, getting ready for my night service. And, you know, and, and I, I got to think of some places where I'd missed it. Now, you know, I don't mean I got out and robbed a bank, you know, and stole something, told a lie, but... I had just simply not obeyed God and fulfilled the ministry. And even then, in trying to obey God, trying to do what he said, I felt like, brother, I just was a fail. That's all there is to it, you know. And so I'm sort of bemoaning some of these things to the Lord, you know, and, and saying, you know, I'm going back and pointing them out, you know, where I'd missed it and where I'd failed and where I'd come short. And, and, and you know, and you sort of, you know, didn't know everything I know now. I learned a lot, see, because that's 20 years ago and you learned a whole lot, you know, in 20, 25-year period. And uh, so uh, the Lord said to me, and I remember I said to the Lord, now, Lord, that's true. I can look back, see, with this eye now and see there. I, I made this step here, and that, that was the wrong step to do. Sometimes hindsight's better than foresight, you know. You didn't really see how wrong it was till after you'd done it. And you see, boy, I sure missed that. 
And, and, but I said, Lord, one thing about it, one thing about it, it was a mistake of the head, not the heart. My heart was right. My heart wanted to do what was right. And the Lord said to me, in fact, it, it was so powerful. I was out there by myself. I never will forget, I was kneeling right in front of the pulpit, and there's an altar there between the altar and the pulpit, right down here. Right, If you could just imagine a rug here and an altar there, and me kneeling right here, you know. And, and just read it down on my all fours. You're not on my knees, but hands and knees, you know, my face down in my hands, you know. And the Lord said, just, I mean, I had to straighten up and look, see if somebody had come in, you know, I heard me praying and, and was, you know, just sort of teasing me and answering back with it. Because it was just that real, like some man's voice spoke up in the room and said, you see, and so like I said, I looked around and realized then it was the Lord because there wasn't anybody in that church but me. I mean, in that auditorium. He said, you see, I don't see that you ever did anything wrong. Because I was watching your heart all the time. And your heart was right all the time. But see, with this eye, you can't see your heart. Your heart, your spirit. You understand that? Man on the inside. Now see what God said here? The Lord looketh not. A man seeth not as man seeth. For a man looketh on the outward appearance. But the Lord looketh on the heart. And so he said... Uh, the Lord said to me, see, I was looking at your heart all the time. And I said, this man's heart is perfect toward me. Now, can you understand this now? Do you understand something else now? The Lord pointed that out to me. The Lord said to me, you remember what I said about David? See, you look on the outward appearance and, oh, isn't that terrible? He committed adultery, that woman. He had her husband killed. And of course, sin, you've got to pay the penalty for sin, all right. But God said about David, he's a man after my own heart. Didn't he? Well, he didn't mean in his wrong good. But the reason is, he was looking at his heart. His heart was right towards God. His heart wanted to do what was right. His flesh throwed him, but his heart wanted to do right. That, that, that's what God's looking at. You need to realize this. And some way or another, we need to get that older people. You're not condoning wrong because people, if you sowed the flesh, you're going to reap that. Yet, right on the other hand, friends, folks can do right from the standpoint of looking, you know, with this eye. Boy, their life is just ordered just right. And yet, on the inside of them, in their heart, it's all wrong. Even though they're born again, they got a wrong attitude. See, you can't see wrong attitudes. They got a wrong conception. They're doing the right thing for the wrong purpose. The Lord can see all of that. See, you, you, you need to keep your heart with all diligence. Amen. You don't want to preach. See, a fellow could preach and get people saved and never get a reward for it. Actually, get a demerit for it. Get punished for it. You say, get punished? Yeah. Because his thought was, boy, look at me. I'm something big. Look what I'm doing. A singer could get up and sing a song. Beautiful song. Other people got blessed. But instead of them getting a good mark, they get a bad mark for it in heaven. Why? Because their thinking was, boy, look at me. Oh, I'm somebody. See what I mean? A fellow could write a book that'd get people healed. And maybe miracles happen in folks' lives. But instead of getting a good mark for what he done, get a bad mark. You understand that? Because his thought may be, boy, I can sell these books and make a lot of money. His thought ought to be, Praise God, we can get these out and it'll bless and help people. See, his thinking's all wrong, his attitudes is. Can you understand that? 
Oh, how necessary it is. I wish some way or another, I, 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 I think I've failed to do it. I, I tried. But in our students here, some way or another, if I could get some of those spiritual principles into them. Some way or another. Some way or another. They're so important. They're so important. Well, maybe that's beside the point, but it's good preaching anyhow. <laughs> Hallelujah. All right. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. I notice something here. And he said, neither hath the Lord chosen him. And Jesse made Shammah to pass by. And he said, neither hath the Lord chosen this. Again, Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And said, Samuel said unto Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said unto Jesse, are here all thy children? These seven other words, is that it? And he said, there remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. Now hold that in your mind a minute now. We'll read on. And he was sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and withal of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Now evidently he was sitting down because the Lord said, Arise. What he was talking about, they were going to eat. He meant we will, we will not sit down to eat until, uh, until you bring him. So when David came in, the Lord said to him, Arise and anoint him, this is he. Well, the Lord is the Spirit, the Holy Ghost. Are you listening to me? Now you learn something, you see, about the move of the Spirit of God. How he manifests himself. I used to try to figure out things, you know, because I was always of an analytical mind. Lord have mercy on me and you too. And, and a lot of times our mind has hindered us. We've we got to figure it all out, why it would work. And like I said, that's the reason, way back there in 1939, I'm sure if I'd stopped to analyze it, I'd never done it. I'd have missed it. I, I'd read this story about Samuel. I knew that. I mean, as a little Sunday school boy, boy, we used to see the picture, you know, of Samuel anointing David with that hard oil, you know. But... Uh, but that's what I did. I asked the Lord then, you see, there years later. And the Lord said, see, I didn't tell. See, he said, the way man would think, I should have told Samuel, go down there and anoint David, one of Jesse's boys, to be king. But I didn't tell him that. Why in the world didn't he? I just told him, go down there and anoint one of the boys. Didn't he? I said, didn't he? Didn't tell him which one. Now, why didn't he? Well, that's what I asked the Lord. Why didn't he? <laughs> he said, you've forgotten that the Bible said without faith it's impossible to please him. If I'd have told him just what to do and just who to anoint, he wouldn't have been pleasing me. He wouldn't have been walking by faith. He'd have been walking by sight. And if I told you the whole story and everything just to do, you wouldn't be walking by faith. You'd be walking by sight, and so you wouldn't be pleasing me. So I tell him just enough to get him to believe and get him to head that way. Then something else, you'll notice that Samuel did not know 
which one it wasn't even until they stood before him. He couldn't be in one room and them in another room and know that wasn't the one. Notice he said he passed them by. I used to wonder. I couldn't figure that out. Now, sometimes God will tell you some things about one or two in the crowd. But used to in my healing lines, uh, until they stood before me, I wouldn't know. And sometimes until you touch them, you don't know. But there was a time in my ministry that I'd say the majority of people that would pass before me or I would touch, I would immediately know. Most of the time, I'd know all about them. Know exactly. I mean, if they were sinning in life, I'd know it. Know what was keeping them from getting the baptism of the Holy Ghost or keeping them from getting healing. But I wouldn't know it. I, I had to touch them. Or they had to pass in front of me like they did here. You can understand that here, couldn't you see? So, I, I, that, that, that Sunday morning in my church way back there in 1939, see, I'd never seen anything like that. I'd never heard of anybody being used that way. And so I just simply said, the Lord said to me, there's a, there's a woman here that he wants to heal before we go today. Well, a lady stood up immediately and started down the aisle over here. When she did on the inside of me, there was a voice that said, she's not the one. How did Samuel know the one? Well, he said each time, you know, that's not the one. The Lord had to tell him that's not the one. I said, sister, you're not the one he's talking about. But, Come on anyway if you need healing because see healing belongs to you so we can lay hands on you in faith and claim the healing. You see? In other words, you don't have to have a special manifestation to be healed. You can have or you may have if the Lord wills. But you don't have to. Then I remember Sister Ratliff stood up and started down the aisle when she did in the inside of me the Spirit of God said she is the one. She had a tumor on her left lung big as your fist and it instantly disappeared. Because she went right back to the doctor and they took x-ray picture and couldn't find it. Praise God. Now, why did God move so miraculous that way, you see? Well, now one thing was, I remember, of course, see, I'd just only been pastor of this church three months. I didn't know her. And, and she hadn't really been in there for God all this time, just, just uh, you know, more recently. Her past life was a mess. Most of it all back there before she ever knew God, of course. But see, a lot of time people still not seeing like God sees wants to hold that against you, see. And the devil, she'd listen to the devil, condemn her. She said, Brother Hagin, after she was healed now, so miraculously and so supernaturally, you may wonder, see, it, because we were constantly having healings meeting, and, and I never did come for healing, never asked for prayer. And yet we all knew, you know, that she had this tumor on her left lung. Inside the lung. She said, uh, I, I said, well, yeah, I had, I had wondered about it. I, I'd, of course, I'd only been pastor there three months, you know, and I didn't know everybody real well. But I said, I started a time or two to ask you. She began to cry and said, you know, Brother Hagin, well, of course, I didn't know. Didn't know a thing in the world about it. Never seen her before, except just a few months before, you see. She said, I just made such a mess of my life. I've just made such a mess of my life. She said, you see, I've been married and divorced four times. And I just felt so unworthy. I'm so glad the Lord saved me all right now. And I know I'm going to heaven. But I just, just, just felt too unworthy. See, letting the devil defeat her. To even ask God to heal me. But God demonstrated his mercy. Praise God for just reaching out there and grabbing her. Hallelujah. Thank God for his mercy. Uh, he's expert on straightening out messes. You say, I've just made such a mess. Well, turn it over him. Let him straighten it out. And what he can't straighten out and straighten up, he'll cover up. Glory to God. Because he said, love covers a multitude of sins. Amen. Isn't that right? I said, isn't that right? Amen. See, praise God. 
Well, now, I'm going back to when some of those things began with me. That was the beginning with of a lot of those things with me, you see. And I didn't understand them altogether and really didn't yield unto them like I should until I could get clear in my own mind and spirit about the things. And so these supernatural things would happen with us, even me, even as a pastor, occasionally all along. And we should expect them to happen. We can't produce them. But that's not the only way Jesus ministered. So some of us may minister that way. Some others may never minister that way. Well, how are you going to do the works of Jesus? Teach people the word of God. Encourage them to believe. Lay hands on them. The Bible said these signs are following them to believe. You're a believer. Lay hands on them. Hallelujah. And by so doing, see, you're doing the works of Jesus by teaching people. Notice what it said. He went around about their villages teaching. If we stop reading right there, we know he taught, didn't he? I said, didn't he? You're doing the works of God by teaching people. Well, do you mean now that you're going to you're going to get people healed but just by teaching them? Emphatically, yes. I've had people in my services, in my classes, with incurable diseases. And then others with terminal disease. See, incurable disease might not be terminal. In other words, you might not die just the next few months. You might live several years. But the doctors can't cure it. You know, like sugar diabetes, for instance. It's incurable. Well, you could take insulin, you know, and get on the right diet and keep going for a long time. It's not necessarily terminal. But yet I've had people with terminal disease. The best doctors in America said, you, you, you know, you'll be dead in a matter of six months. I never touched them. I never laid hands on them. Nobody else did. In that particular meeting, they might have had beforehand, but it hadn't worked because still got it. But they just heard the word of God. Just heard the word of God. Praise God. I never will forget, we just came from Full Gospel Bids and Men's Convention in, in Philadelphia. I was preaching the full gospel of men's convention. It wasn't an international convention like this one, but a regional convention up in that eastern part of the United States, uh, it, well, in Syracuse, New York, in August of 1970, the 13th uh, through the 15th of August. Now, I didn't know until 15 months later, and I was preaching the full gospel of men's convention up here in St. Louis, October, you see, of 71. And a man said to me as I came from an afternoon teaching service, a man in the lobby of the hotel, may I speak to you, Brother Hagin? I said, yes, you may. He said, I want you to meet my family. He introduced me to three children, his wife and himself, five of them. But then he said, you remember last year, about 15 months ago, you was up there in, in, in Syracuse, New York, full God, Benjamin? Yes. He said, my boy here, and he laid his hand on his back, you know, who is now, you see, about, well, uh, approximately 17 years old. He then was about 15 and a half. Well, 15 months would put him up to 16, nine months, you see. But we're, we're just talking about closely. He's approximately six, 17. He said, we had never been to a full gospel service before in our lives. We didn't know a thing about divine healing. We came from Boston, Massachusetts down to Syracuse. He said, you see, my son developed, well, this condition. And, and he said doctors in Boston had treated him and they couldn't find out for sure just what's wrong with him. He kept getting worse. And they recommended we take him down to one of the hospitals, our children's hospital in New York City. So I took him down there. And I believe he said they kept him for about five weeks. And he said, then one day I was there and and he said, the doctors, more than one of them came in and said to me, well, uh, we've got some good news and we've got some bad news. Most of it's bad. We'll tell you the good part first. At least we have found out what's wrong with him. And he gave me a name. I never heard it before. And he said, the doctor said, now this is what's wrong with me. He gave him this long name, sort of a double name like. And he said, uh, the doctor said, now here's the bad part. There's only a few people 
in the history of medical science in the world that's ever had this. Seven or eight people. There have been only three people here on the North American continent that's ever had this. There was one person in Canada. There's been one in Mexico that we know of and another one here in the United States. This was the only second one the United States ever had this, this boy. There is no cure for it. There is nothing that could be done for it. We wouldn't get your hopes up at all because we don't know a thing in the world about it. Only seven or eight cases in the history of medical science. No research work being done on it, of course. And said, we'll be honest with you. The boy's 15 and a half. He'll never live to see his 17th birthday. He'll be dead. He'll be dead. Now, because we don't know anything about it, it won't cost you anything, we'd like for you to bring him back at least every three months for us to check him out, you see, because we're going to, we, you know, with your permission, you know, we're going to give him certain things, you know, and certain diets and certain vitamins and do this and try that and try something else. Nothing, you see, then you would be fatal to him, but just different things to see if we can prolong his life, to see how he will respond. And so he said he just continually grew worse and worse. And so somebody then told us about full gospel. We didn't know a thing about full gospel. She got in touch somewhere or another with full gospel business and they encouraged him to come over to that convention. See, and I never did even know the boy got healed. I never prayed for him. Said, while you were teaching, he was healed. Now he said, I've had him back down there because it's supposed to take him every three months. And then I've had him back again. I've had him back down there because they wanted to check on it. They wanted to wait. And then I've had, we just came before they came to St. Louis Convention again and said, the doctor said, no, he's bringing him back. We can't find a trace of it. It's all disappeared. Well, I never prayed for the boy. I never touched the boy. I never laid hands on the boy. Far as I know, nobody prayed for him. He didn't get, they had some prayer lines there, but he didn't get any prayer lines. You say, well, how did he get healed? The daddy told me, said the boy when they got back to the room, just said, uh, you know, I got healed while Brother Hagin was teaching. Said, you did? Yeah. He said, I just believed it. He said, now me being you, he said, now then we're all baptized with the Holy Ghost, the whole family. But he said, me being you, I, I said, now son, are you sure? Are you sure? Yeah, he said, I'm sure. And he said, he's been well ever since then. Teaching, 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 praise God. Teaching, hallelujah. Now sometimes there'll be a manifestation of the Spirit. Like I said, well, thank God for it. You know, we were preaching, here's this fellow down here from Birmingham. We were preaching down in Atlanta. When was it, about three years ago now? Three years, wasn't it? Stand up so everybody can see. See, we tell about these some things sometimes. I think some folks wonder if they ever happened. Well, now here's this fellow. This, uh, this is, uh, he came over from Birmingham to our meeting there in Atlanta. David was with us, one of the, keep standing a minute. And, and Patsy was with that, you know, faith creation group then, was with us. And, and, and really, sometimes I don't remember all the detail because to, to, I don't know whether I can explain this to you where you understand it or not. I hope I can. Because it's not a matter of you being unconscious, but you get more over in the spirit realm than you are in the natural realm. In other words, you're sort of caught up in the spirit. C can you understand that? People think sometimes, I, I've heard people say, well, brother, they can look right back. I don't remember even seeing them. Look right at me. I don't ever remember seeing them. Because I was so over in the spirit that I may have physically looked right at them, but never even saw them. I know they tell me all the time things that happen in the healing line. And I don't know more what happened than anything in the world. I'm walking along there, all right, but, I, but, but I, I close natural things out. And I found that to the degree I can do that, and sometimes I can do it more at times than I can other times, I have greater success when I can do it. 
Because, see, it's not through the flesh that you're going to get healed. It's not through my mentality you're going to get healed. It's through the Spirit of God operating through my spirit. Can you understand that? And I say things sometimes, you see, that I really don't know I said. Because I spoke by the inspiration of the Spirit. And so I don't know, but I think what I did, I said, and I didn't know who it was in this case. I didn't know the individual, but I said, what was something about a ear? What was it? What did I say? Maybe you know more about it than I do. I know you do. You got healed. I can relate the story this way. It may not be quite like I said it before, but you, uh, you didn't have a healing line. You said it in the center of your service, and uh, you said that uh, there was people there that had implied hearing. They wasn't completely deaf, but they had implied hearing. But I didn't hear you. You can't understand that southern talk. That's impaired. <laughs> <laughs> healing. That's right. Ear, hearing. In other words, you couldn't hear completely. <laughs> All right. Go ahead. That's to interpret some of these Yankees. Yeah. I should have told you. I knew it was a man. He took me first and he slapped me on the side of the face. Real easy, but it cracked like lightning through the auditorium. Then he got me to run. And I was hesitant about running because I hadn't run in 40 years, in 20 years. But it was just like the surge of an ocean breeze behind me. It just come once or twice and And I took off. And I as much as he wanted me to, and then I came back and I took my seat. And he didn't know this, anything at all about it. Two days later, I talked to him in the same meeting in the, in the auditorium. When we went back to our motel, we decided we would rest until the evening meeting. And of course, I took my shoes and stockings and trousers off, and I was always, for the 20 years prior to this, I was bothered with varicose veins. My legs from my ankles up to my knees were black, and they used to break and feel like little bees stinging. They'd break under the skin. And let me tell you, my legs were as white as Brother Hagen's shoes. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Praise God. Now, you see, that's what I want to say. That's, that's a manifestation of the Spirit of God. Now, I don't know why I told him to run. I never thought that. That just come out. You see, all I had was to pray with folks, to minister right in the middle of the thing, with folks with impaired hearing. In other words, I said, now, you're not totally deaf, but you can't hear too well, you see, out of one or both ears or whatever. And, and, and several, there's two or three ladies, he said, came. And then he came. Well, when he came, you see, how did I know he was the one? You see, just like, like Samuel did. You see, you see the spirit? I knew it in my spirit. I said, you're the one to him. And then the spirit of God said to him, and I'll do that occasionally, not often, not very often. They, they, these folks have ministered with me sometime several years. And you'll see, you'll, I'll go along sometime for a year or two and don't do it. If the spirit doesn't tell you, see, just doing it yourself, it won't work. I can't of myself do nothing. But the spirit told me, that's the reason I popped him on that ear. And, and he thought I hit him very lightly, and I, but it popped everywhere. I mean, you could hear it, you know. And then, then, then I found myself saying, telling him, I don't know what in the world I told him to run for. See, I didn't know. Like he said, I didn't know him. But that was the spirit in me, inspired me. Those words just came out of me without me thinking, you see. And he ran down that aisle. He ran down that aisle. And he, you know, he, he never stopped to think. I haven't run in 20 years. See, the Lord knew it though. But see, that was an act of faith. That was an act of faith. And you understand, what if he had stood there and said, oh, no, Brother Hagin, I couldn't run. Well, I haven't run 20 years. It wouldn't have worked. 
Now, see, this could have been the Spirit of God who told him that, but if he didn't work, he didn't operate on it, you see, if he didn't act upon it, there'd be no, there'd be no results. Well, praise God for His Holy Word. Hallelujah to Jesus. That concludes this message. For more information about Kenneth Hagen Ministries, call 1-888-283-2484 or visit our website at www.rhema.org or write Kenneth Hagen Ministries, Post Office Box 50126, Tulsa, Oklahoma, 74150-0126. And in Canada, write Kenneth Hagen Ministries, Post Office Box 335, Station D, Etobicoke, Toronto, Ontario, Canada, M9A4X3.